Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Clear to Close. I'm your host, Alan Paris, joined as always by the Curly and Mo to my Larry, Anthony, and Brian. How are you guys doing today? Oh, yeah. Alan, yes, yes, yes. Did you spend a lot of time thinking about that one? You know, I did not spend a lot of time thinking about that one. I've uh, I've slimmed down. I know we, for a while, I would say that I would, you know, spend a good about amount of research to try and find the right dynamic duo, now powerful trio, or whatever you want to call it. But I, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm forcing myself to make the decision quicker and just run with my gut. And, and, and go with it faster. You know, you could you could call us the mighty triumvirate, right? We could. We, we could, could call ourselves that. It's a big that. word, too. I, don't, I couldn't spell it. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually typing it into Merriam-Webster right now because I actually just don't know the definition of these words. So. <laughs> well, welcome, guys. How are you doing today? What's up? Friday. It is What's a Friday. Well? It is a late afternoon on a Friday, which is the best time to record a podcast. And uh, we are joined today by a fantastic guest. We got Brian Mexi. Uh, who is the VP of Sales here at Maxwell? Brian, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Excited for this. Excited to spend Friday afternoon with you guys. There's no other place in the world I bet you would rather spend your Friday afternoon. So true. So, so true. true. You're spending it with the mighty triumvirate, of course. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Yeah. So going forward in this episode, we're going to have to call Brian Mexi Mexi because. We can't have more than one Brian on the show, and it, no one else will experience this, but we experience them on a daily basis in the Maxwell uh, workspace, which is, they're both spelled B-R-Y-A-N as well, which just instantly creates confusion, complexities, and a headache for at least myself in dealing with both the sales and the customer success team. So so you are effectively, whether you like it or not, Mexi for this episode, and I guess because he was here first, Brian Traeger can stay as Brian. I am good with that. Transparently, I've been called Mexi for the past 20 years. So I am used to it and I will respond uh, uh, excitedly. That works perfectly. Uh, Other people in the Maxwell organization have had to completely change their name. Totally, yeah. They have had to, they've had to add mix in front of it or they've had to uh, go by their middle name or mother's maiden name or something because we have a lot of shared first names in the organization but it's glad that you're you're already comfortable with uh mexi as a as your go-to totally i will respond um and i'll let brian take over the ownership of the brian with a y alan that's funny that you said people will take their mother's maiden name my first name brian of course is my grandmother's maiden name i forgot if i've mentioned that before but i had to give that yeah I cannot imagine a topic that that would have come up on the show so far. So, so I don't, I don't think you've mentioned it. You're Maybe over a early. beer it came up because yeah. we've we've gone down some some windy roads. We we've gone down some windy roads, and you and I, maybe with microphones on or microphones off, have spent uh, a couple of nights at a insert mediocre hotel brand bar uh, while we're at a regional mortgage conference uh, back in the day. So it might have been there instead of instead of the microphone land. I wish we were there right now. Man. Send me back to send me back to Anaheim or wherever. wherever That was good. Oh, gosh. Anyway, well, thank you, everybody, for attending on this episode and giving us a listen. If you're new to Clear Clothes, we'd love to have you here. 
Don't forget to click subscribe uh, after this episode. Also, don't hesitate to shoot us a review. We strive for five-star reviews and would love to hear what you think about this episode. Um, If you're returning from Clear Clothes, it's good to see or have you back again. So today's episode, uh, super excited. As I mentioned, we've got Brian Mexi here. Uh, What we're going to dive into today is a little bit about the kind of new tech entrance in the the mortgage space. Brian has spent time at Zillow before joining Maxwell. Um, And so we'll dive into you know what can be learned and, and gathered as a kind of small mid-sized lender in this market from these large players and maybe tech forward atypical lenders coming into the space i think a completely different business model but i think a business model that there are things that you can either take in consideration of how you want to compete against or take into consideration of how you want to better your business that hopefully will lead to a fruitful discussion uh, before we jump into the discussion, we have to be- give a big thanks to our beloved employer and sponsor that makes all this possible, Maxwell. Maxwell's mortgage optimization platform helps lenders uh, with solutions that go from the entire mortgage origination process from application to the secondary market. To learn more about Maxwell, visit us at www.highmaxwell.com or email us at meetmax at highmaxwell.com. So before we jump into the main topic, I think, you know, a lot is moving in this economic environment. AI, let's start with you on giving listeners kind of the latest of what's happening, what's moving, what's shaking, what's positive, what's negative, and dive into a bit of the pulse of the market right now. You know, recession's looking more likely. LEI dropped yesterday. You know, it's been down for the past eight months. We've got over the past Eight months, we have a rise in weekly claims. So as the Fed continues to raise, which next week will probably get three quarters of a point, maybe they'll surprise give us 100 basis points. Who knows? Could be a big bazooka, could be a big day. But as, you know, in this point in the cycle, as, you know, commodity prices are lowering, we're seeing a, a lowering at the gas pump, we're starting to see layoffs, unfortunately, happen. Pretty typical in the cycle. So uh, what I am excited about, though, is we've had a little pop in the treasury market. We've had a little pop in mortgages. You know, there are some lenders that are posting rates at five and a half or maybe just a whiff lower if they're true, if they're they're super aggressive. I hope that translates into some apps and throws people a lifeline. But I kind of like the way that feels. But uh, definitely, if you guys are hedging out there, you want to stay close to your pipeline and, and not get too cute about it. Yeah. And I think uh, the one other thing I'll add on there, and I forgot the actual release date of this might have been a couple of weeks ago, but uh, we saw it for the first time two weeks ago before since our last episode is uh, NBA quarterly performance report came out um, for Q1 of 2022. And I mean, maybe not surprising. It's not great news. I think the average profit margin was five bips. Yeah, um, it wasn't a lot. Which is, it was, it was very low. The cost per loan has gone to, I think, the highest that I've ever seen, which is $10,600 to originate a loan. So, I mean, talked about this. I'm sure the listeners are experiencing this to varying degrees, probably, and how they've structured their businesses and, and where their volume comes from. But it's getting squeezed and it's it's getting tight as it kind of has been for on that trend for the past year now. It is. But, you know, we, we just had a webinar recently that's out there on YouTube and a couple of other places. You can probably grab it on LinkedIn too on the Maxwell page. But, uh, you know, I mean, in our opinion here, and Brian, chip in here, man. But I think, you know, get back to basics, not to get too cute the way you're managing your pipeline, manage your margin, and then 
like Amy Brandt said during the the webinar, take the pitch. If someone's calling you and they and they want to talk to you about your technology, talk to them. Take ten minutes. Take fifteen. You never know, as we say. Yeah, definitely. I'm, it's it's such an interesting time right now. There's such confusion. You have one bank CEO, like a large Citigroup bank, I think said, "There's little of the data I see tells me that the U.S. is on the cusp of a recession." And then you have others similar chairs that say, "We're in one right now." Right. So it's complete uncertainty. We we have no idea if we are going that way, if we are in it, or it's going to be short, fast, who, who knows? So be open. Really, really, I like what you said, AIs. Be open. Take the phone calls because you really don't know what's going to happen. Just try to understand. Try to prepare for up, down, sideways, curveballs, everything. It's it's, yep. it's going to be impossible to forecast where the future is, but uh, just listen to the market a bit. Yeah, you definitely have to. And, you know, like I said, I think being mindful and paying attention and we're going to say it a couple of times here today. I think you've got to, as Amy said, got to take the pitch, got to do it. Yeah, Brian uh, or Mexi, I'm interested in your opinion of maybe what you, you spend a lot of time with prospective lenders in as well, uh, either looking at technology solutions or looking at, you know, fulfillment or secondary market solutions. Is there kind of a trend you're seeing on how they're feeling and how they're approaching, you know, investment in this time? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think to what, AI mentioned earlier, lenders are open, right? They're open to seeing what's out there because the fact of the matter too is now's a great time. Things are a little bit slower. Um, you have some time to look at some new technology. Now's the time to make some changes. And I think it it aligns a lot with what we're going to be talking about today in, in providing great customer service, uh, making sure that all the technology is, is firing. So when, when things pick back up, they're in a great spot to ride that wave as things change. So the slow times are also an opportunity to look at options like AI mentioned, and we're seeing a lot of customers more open to it today as they're you know prepping for when things turn around. Yeah. And I think the big, the big thing that I feel in these times is like, or what I, the way I approach it is like, you have to also be really diligent though on making sure you've either got the plan in place of how a new technology or new solution is going to get implemented in your organization, is going to have the impact in your organization yeah. and how you're going to measure it. Because just throwing more dollars at it is not going to, is obviously not going to help. There's not even margin really to throw dollars at it. So like, it, you know, push on the vendors and push on the partners to like, what is the best practice? What are the results you're seeing across different organizations? So you can have a plan on how it's going to work. Not that like, just by signing a contract, it's going to get, you know, it's going to get better. It's probably, it has to be thoughtful and you have to have the right partner and the right vendor to help you in those situations. Yeah. yeah. Alan, speaking of that thoughtfulness, like, you know, a, a lot of folks will buy certain tech to increase the borrower experience. Well, what does it mean? <laughs> uh, be have a modern designed something online. Okay. But why does that matter? So being thoughtful about it is so important. Like, I mean, of course, we have a point of sale at Maxwell that we know drives application started to application submitted rates really, really high. And that's because of the borrower experience. But a lot of times people just say, oh, I need this because we want to update the borrower experience. But that's it. It's a period end of story. Be thoughtful about it. Understand the why of what you're doing. Get back to like the basics of thinking 
like philosophically, why are you doing something? Why, 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 why? AI, what's up? Yeah, the basics. I think you're right, Brian. I think the basics are, they're going to get us out of this. And so I, I'm 100% behind you on that. I think you got to get back to the basics and you got to got to get back to what worked with you, worked for you before. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, you know, it's, everyone knows the, maybe the cyclical impact of like improving the borrower experience, for example. But I think, you know, not to necessarily transition right away into our discussion with around the new kind of more tech forward or online based entrance is, but like you need to see the results. In, so if you're going to improve the borrower experience, you know, an early measure would be that you're getting better borrower satisfaction. And that's kind of your indicator that, hey, my what I'm working on improved, you know, my investment somewhere has given me an indicator that this is improving. But I think all lenders know that really the increase in borrower satisfaction should lead to more referrals, more top of funnel volume coming into your business. And so take a look and find the measures to make sure that is coming to fruition. Because you have to have your early lead measures because it's going to take a little bit of time for that to for it to happen. But if your if your main focus is borrower experience, like quantify what you want out of that borrower experience and make sure the technology that you're using or the process that you're using or whatever it is is actually driving towards that. Um, so happy that you brought that up, Alan, because like Maxi, that's what we want to learn from you. That's what a lot of your background is about: is that borrower experience. Zillow, yeah. we know it from the top. Zillow is. They get buyers, borrowers first. I sometimes I'm like, ooh, I wonder what it's like to own a ten million dollar house in Los Angeles. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that your city of choice of where you're? Where you're? No, gonna, I want ten million dollar house. I went ten million, and I went place I really don't. I look, I look, I I have my own ten million dollar home searches. However, you do you search or you live in one? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, uh, <laughs> search. Uh, however, they are in. Sun Valley, Jackson Hole, et cetera. Oh, very nice. But, but you know, teach their own, Brian. You can do LA. I can see you out there. You're going to be hitting the Hollywood Strip and you'll be doing it big. Yep. I want to hang out with Big Poppy, Bieber. You know, I fit right in. The Viper Room, man. Anyway, before I took us on that tangent, I think, Maxi, you were going to say something. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, to Brian Traeger, your point, the, uh, sorry, not used to the, the <laughs> Brian specifically, to the Brian, uh, uh, the other Brian, to your point, you know, what these big powerhouses are doing is they're starting at the customer experience, right? Everything, all of the product development is starting in that piece of it. And when you look at it, like the, your number one priority is, is solving for the customer. It makes product development a lot more exciting, right? You're not just looking to generate revenue. You're not just looking to um, look at these different different ways to sell ads to vendors, right? You're really solving for a customer experience problem. And that's why, you know, I think where this conversation should go later with, um, you know, Quicken and Better and those companies that are doing it, they're coming from a completely different starting point, which is that customer experience. So yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. Um, I agree with every, what everyone said before. It's all about ROI right now, investing in things that are going to produce the best ROI based on your investment. And yeah, it's, I'm excited for this conversation today and see where it goes. Actually, you, you said a, a critical word there that I want to touch on. It, you said yeah. product. Yeah. That's something I believe a lot of local lenders don't understand. I didn't understand it before I, I joined Maxwell. You know, a few years ago, product in, in the mortgage landscape is 
FHA 30, conventional 30, 15, ARMS, those are products. Mm -hmm. You're talking about a different product. So can you explain just briefly what that product is that you're talking about and also possibly touch on how local lenders can think about this new product in their arsenal? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so the product, I mean, um, the product that we focus on here at Maxwell, it's all based on what's going to make the most impact right? Whether it's on a borrower side or an LO side, it's all impact-driven product work. And this is on the tech side we're specifically talking about. So when you're looking at, at product and, and scoping out what you're going to invest your resources and time into, what the big players are doing is they're really looking at the customer experience, what technology out there could be built or brought in from outside to provide that ideal customer experience from start to finish. And so the product here is really that customer journey and not FHA, conventional, VA. That's not that's not what we're talking about here. It's it's really the customer experience that that that's the focus. And I think that's the interesting thing about you know a company like Zillow is you know they're not selling like units. Like it's not like they're an online store selling widgets and that's their product that they're selling like the most valuable thing to Zillow, at least me looking out to and looking in their company and not being in it, is the thing that's valuable to them is that experience that engages borrowers and that reoccurring borrower and that trust that the borrower has in Zillow to get information. Like, that's where their worth is because then you start to extract value through whether it's you know, real estate referrals or whether it's you know paid sponsorships or whether it's selling a mortgage eventually. Like, that what's what's key to them is keeping that user base super happy and engaged. And yep. that's where I think it's interesting in this discussion is to do that, you have to have an intense focus on the customer experience and how, what is the ideal customer experience and how much can we serve the customer to keep them happy there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're exactly right. And it started with Zillow with identifying how to build the largest audience possible. Yeah. And right now they have it, right? 200, uh, over 200 million unique users per month. Um, I mean, think about that. 200 million unique users. It's a silly amount. Think about how many people watch the Super Bowl and multiply that by what, 20, whatever it ends up being. Uh, it's, a, it's a massive audience. They've created that by just creating a great environment, a great experience for people to search and find a home, maybe find a mortgage, find a real estate agent, do everything that's involved in real estate on one platform. So it's it's a really powerful, powerful site. And I think just to show like, I mean, and I could be an all about, all about out here, but like to show how much emotion they've created and the satisfaction you get out of their experience is, I remember when we were home shopping, as we were going to the closing table, I was like, I'm going to save so much time in my day, no longer having to go to Zillow. Like, because I was spending so much time totally. looking at available homes, like making sure my realtor saw this one, like, should we check this one? Let's go figure out what school district, all that stuff. Like so much time on Zillow in the home shopping business. And honestly, maybe it dropped for like a week, but like shortly thereafter, I was back on Zillow. Like, what's the next tier home? Like, what's the, like, I wonder what this kind of, like what this section of the city, like how much homes comes there versus where we are. And all, like, it's no longer just like this one moment in your life that you're, engaging in that experience yeah. it's it just yeah. brings you so much information and joy that like you just you're you're always there at least i am like I, i'm not even home shopping right now i still go to zillow frequently 
to get information and figure out like what's yeah. happening in the market and what's 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 out there for X thousands of dollars. I think that's I think that's pretty typical too. I mean, even us, we you know we've lived in this house for six, six and a half years. And there's probably not a week that goes by where myself or Kit goes through and we're like, well, hey, Stu, the house is working on Zillow. These guys are selling this down the hill for this. Yeah. And Everyone's doing that, right? In my day, when I went to the first home, uh, that didn't exist. It was 60 days. You paid three points for your mortgage. It was, even though I knew all the guys, it was still a horrible experience. Now, getting a mortgage, the last mortgage that we got was great. So, yeah. And it was all because it was online. I think the interesting part of that too is, uh, AI, you were talking about your first purchase, right? When you were looking for a home the first time, you had to go to a realtor. They would give you a huge book of listings, right? Here's what's on the market right now. You'd have to go to them. And so flipping that power, that's what's so addicting about it, right? Having the power to look at listings, see everything that's out there and not having to go to one person to get it. It's an interesting power that we now have thanks to these sites. Yeah. And now it's totally cool about it. So there's, you know, forget about pictures. That's awesome. But like the 360 view with the video where you can kind of walk around and see the landscape and stuff. I mean, then you have this immediate emotional attachment to the house and you're like, I want that right now. So it is amazing how it's changed. It's a powerful shopping tool for sure. Hey, Maxi, can you give me insight? I got a question. So we're talking about how we're on Zillow. We're living on there and we're not even buying houses, right? Yeah. A um, couple of really fun stories that makes me want to think about. Anyway, it really reminds me of Uber and how when Uber was first created, people thought it was there to destroy taxi drivers and the market for taxi drivers was to be gone. But what the market, and like, so their total addressable market and in the fintech world, TAM is like a super important thing. So the investor community put a certain TAM, call it a billion dollars, I don't know, Mm -hmm. on Uber. But then Uber just, their business model created way more drivers than there were taxi drivers. Mm -hmm. And that allowed, I mean, supply and demand, you know, supply of drivers, demand of people wanting to take more rides. All of a sudden, so many people started to use this type of a service that was well beyond what those original total addressable market numbers were. So my question, with Zillow, with more people looking, even when they're not shopping, do you think that that has increased buyer appetite and seller appetite in the marketplace? So therefore, there are more transactions because of Zillow than without Zillow? Yeah. So I think that is that is definitely the assumption is that more shoppers are out there right now searching for homes. They're in the market to buy or sell because it's just a lot easier, right? And that's one thing I we noticed at, at Zillow is as that traffic increased, right? We saw more people, more transactions in those markets where the where the audiences were more engaged, right? So I definitely think that's something you're seeing, especially with first-time home buyers, right? Like it's a really overwhelming, daunting process to buy a home and to simplify it by using a site like Zillow and uh, a realtor or one of their, you know, the competitors is it's a lot easier to do these days. Um, And so I think we're seeing a lot more in the market and, and that's, you know, also a big opportunity for local lenders is to partner with some of these sites, right? Uh, where the audiences are. And that's that's a part of their model too, is you know getting the advertisement for these local lenders to really provide a great experience from search finds to actually getting a mortgage and closing mm-hmm. in a home. And I think the key word too in there too, Mexican, is you said the word easier. 
And it does, and it has become easier. And through the use of technology, you have the ability to upload your docs on the fly. So you can be driving out skiing or mountain biking or gravel biking, <laughs> and and you're uploading your docs into your lender system. So it's, it is awesome. Yeah, yeah, so if there are more transactions happening because of these things, do you think that that's driving or maybe will drive a lesser amount of time for a borrower to be in their home. And I know that's an important criteria for the securitization market because you're looking at the conditional prepayment rate, which is defaults, early payout or paying yep. off, refinancing, all that stuff. And I, I want to say the average, and you could, you know, I could be way off here, but I've heard it's about 13 years. So you get a 30-year mortgage, most likely on average, you're going to live in it for 13 years. It's because long. of Zillow <laughs> and because of all these things, is that number going to be much, much, much lower? I think the number is lower to begin with. However, I hear what you're saying. But in the environment that we live in today, a lot of people have refied or a lot of people have purchased. So they're at two and a half or two and three quarters to three percent. They're more apt to stay in their home today a little longer until all of this shakes out. But I do think the Zillow, I mean, when we moved to Colorado six years ago, we started looking for a house eight years ago and a year. It made it so much easier going out to Zillow, for example, and looking to see what was available in Golden and Boulder and everywhere else. So I I do think there's validity in what you're saying and that it will make it a hell of a lot easier for people to leave and they won't stay as long. Yeah. One thing I'll mention too, AI, because you mentioned it uh, earlier, was this easier word, right? What it's actually done, these sites have done, which is really interesting in the uh, buyer behaviors, is it's it's changed the expectation of borrowers, mm -hmm. right? Like now they're expecting a tech-focused user experience, yeah. right? Because that's where they started. That's the next stage after they, they work with their realtor is the expectations have changed drastically because of these sites. And I think it's important for, you know, all lenders to be aware of it, that, that buyer expectations have changed significantly over the last 10 years. And you got to adjust with it. That goes back to the borrower experience too, right? They expect it. You, I think you guys have hit it right on the head. They expect it, right? And if you're not offering that, you're behind. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, it's maybe one of the pieces I would love to dive into a conversation now is what we're not recommending is that lenders try to go build this massive 200 million unique eyeballs every single month in order in order to compete but is what are the things you can take away from that and what are the things you need to take into consideration because that exists in order to adjust or change your process and your strategy and like what can you learn from it like i think it doesn't mean you have to go upstream and have necessarily home search on your mm -hmm. site as a lender, but what are the things you can take into consideration because of this environment that Zillow is just a massive player in, in a massive piece of the home buying process that can better your business for the future if that is going to continue to stay uh, the way it is. And I got a recommendation there too. Is, is One of the areas that you could really look into is the referral business and particularly in pre-approvals historically and a lot of times still today the real estate agent says hey borrower you need a pre-approval here's mm -hmm. a list of people i recommend but because folks are shopping online on zillow they might see an ad from you know quicken loans or i don't even know if they advertise there but it's like hey before you even go talk to an agent you need to be pre-approved otherwise that agent won't 
give you the time of day because they're too busy because the market's too hot or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. And so how are you getting the pre-approval? And that think about that. So if your real estate agent has typically been the one to give you the referrals, how could you flip that? How, yeah. how can you be mm-hmm. first to the borrower to get the pre-approval and then give the borrower a referral to the agent? That's going to pay dividends to you, right? So mm-hmm. really analyzing this stuff and who's advertising where could be taking away business from you. And not that you need to go advertise on Zillow to get the pre-approvals, but understanding that that is what people are doing and how to how to just keep that in your in your mindset and your strategy of how to combat that and how to like get to the pre-approval before somebody else. And a lot of times, you know, agents don't like the the quick and loans pre-approval because it's a flimsy piece of paper. It's nothing real. So they actually do want you to go to a local lender. Can you use that as a benefit? Like that's what I think, Alan, what you're talking about mm-hmm. and understanding this stuff and, and trying to apply it to your own business. But I think what's interesting about that too is, and Brian, we've talked about this a lot on probably several episodes is the challenge that I think the mortgage lender has in this home buying process is that they are many times viewed as the restrictive gatekeeper of whether the person's not going to get the home or not, not the enabler of the transaction to occur. Not like the positive view of getting to the home, but more of the like criteria to make sure you can actually get like the, the prohibitive force that might keep you from your home. And what I like about the, the flipping of kind of how you laid it out is it owns more of the forcing function of the transaction to happen. And rather than them kind of fitting in the middle of this process, that could be the, the stopper of the home buying process to happen. I think that's where, that's where real estate agents have so much leverage is because they get to show the home in Zillow too. It's like they get to show the homes, get the emotional buy-in, show what's possible in all of this. And then the mortgage lender has to many times like reel things in, adjust really what you can afford, potentially not even give you the loan that if you can flip it, and I'm not saying that's easy to do, you're in a much powerful spot in the transaction process from the emotional buy-in of the borrower, as well as the relationship you have of new volume coming in, not dependent on a real estate agent. And that's exactly where Quicken wins and better one. Yeah. Because Quicken says, quick button, get mortgage. Boom. I'm don't even think about me. I'm just a a small little piece. So they like, they're using their name and obviously they're also advertising in their TV commercials and things like that to get the borrower through their experience. But it's the same experience, really. They're still going through the same process. They just get them in and in better, which we all known as not better. They did the same thing by nature of their name. So Quicken says, hey, I'm going to do it fast. Better says, I'm going to do it better. Now you look at a lot of mortgage company names. It's like, we kind of joke about this sometime. Pick a couple of uh, key terminologies out of of a hat and that's your mortgage company. American, First, Bank, Financial, LLC, whatever. (laughs) And that's your mortgage company name. So how can you change up, maybe you can't change your name or DBA it to something cool, but maybe your logo, maybe your slogan, maybe there's something there that you can help that can challenge those folks that's better or quicker. Find out what's good for you and what your company is all about. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's not always about rate, right? Yeah. It's about the whole whole problem. Yeah. I mean, uh, a classic loan officer saying is, give me within an eighth. If you're if I'm within an eighth, I can I can get it. So it's not always about rate. You're right. Yep. Yep. Um, they're salespeople too. They're not like they're salespeople for a reason. They're not order takers. Yeah. 
I'm with you, Ryan. Yep. So, so I think there's a, there's a good potential maybe opportunity of, especially in these times where loan volume is key right now, like lenders likely are not overwhelmed by the loan volume. So like, is there a different approach you can take to find a new source of volume that you don't have if you are like, let's call it kind of very much tied to the standard real estate referral source of volume. But at the same time, there's one of the things that I think is worth diving in on, and it kind of goes back to technology is like Quicken, for example, is in a very different spot where Quicken doesn't did not have a massive audience like Zillow does, um, but rather they had to go build that audience and spending billions of dollars in advertising every 25 seconds on our TVs to, to get that volume. But they did create a process that got someone in smoothly enough that they were bought in at that point to create engagement with that borrower. Um, so they had to get the scale a little different. But the one of the things that's probably the same, and I'm not talking about the entire mortgage process if you go down with Rocket Mortgage, but the initial kind of process is it was very UX and like user focused to create that engagement, to get them bought in, and to go down the process of enabling this transaction to happen. That is probably a similarity between them and that, let's say what Zillow does really well too. Yeah, I agree. Uh, so I, before Zillow, I actually worked at Quicken Loans too. So I have a little bit of background there. This is, no, I didn't know this. No. Yeah, a little something about me. Uh, we, we, so we organized, not that we don't love you, Brian, but like yeah. the Mexi, sorry. Only, uh, I'm confused. The, Wait, the main reason name? we started this conversation to have you on is because we knew that you worked at Zillow. Yeah. And in all of our prep and kind of figuring out what we were going to talk about, I didn't even know. Look at this. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, Secrets. Back in 2010, I worked at uh, Quicken Loans for the, on the purchase of the business. So it was super early. They were a, a refi shop back at the time, and we helped stand up that purchase business back at, or you know back in 2010, 2012. So um, yeah, so some background there too. But to your point, Alan, they came from a completely different approach, but the fundamental was the same. Right? Is let's create a great experience that someone can call from the comfort of their own home, fill out an application, walk through with a, a LO directly on the online and get a, get a mortgage quickly, right? So they still focused around that customer experience and every decision, every conversation that was had with an LO was thought, you know, the main thought was how do we create a kick-ass customer experience from A to Z? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, regardless whether they completed it or, you know, you mentioned in the process, if it's a great process, still the the thought of every time we have a customer experience, we want it to be excellent. So one, they're bringing referrals, they're coming back for their second mortgage, third mortgage, right? That's how you're seeing some of these big lenders grow so quickly. Yeah. I think, you know, one thing I want to make sure is clear is, you know, we've talked a lot about the tech side of the borrower experience, but I think one of the things that local lenders can lean on and have an advantage in the borrower experience is it's not always replacing the human or making it or not having to deal with a human or interact with a human. Like when I think about some of the best, and I think we can all probably do this, but when you think about some of the best customer experience moments you've had in your life, like just one that comes to my mind is like a hotel experience with at like a really nice high-end hotel. And that is not tech-based. That is human interaction service-based that 
I think one thing I want to be cautious of as we have this conversation is it's not saying like, you know, completely, even though there are solutions to improve certain elements that Maxwell could provide or other people could provide to improve a technology component to provide one element better in the borrower experience. It's the collective totality of from start to finish. And the, the leverage and one of the benefits that local lenders have is they can do that human component that is really hard and pr- hard to prove scalable for really large lenders like Quicken or mm-hmm. Zillow's process or whoever. Um, and I think that shouldn't be understated. Like, don't be paralyzed by saying, well, I'm not going to be able to build the infrastructure or even find the partner to do everything that Rocket does or do everything that Zillow does in the process, but find where you can have some really unique value and where there's pain points and like crush those pain points and create what you can bring the best experience possible. It doesn't always have to be tech. Like tech is a big part of it to win a large segment of the market, but it's not everything. Like there's humans add a ton of value in this. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I agree wholeheartedly. And early days of Quicken too, like that's what it was about. It was the human interaction and creating great, great experience. So that is a huge opportunity and something that in these times, I think it's really valuable to analyze how you're, how you're delivering them every time, no exceptions, right? Providing a great experience from, uh, um, you know, pre-approval to, to close. AI, what do you think as, maybe we're not oversimplifying it, but like what mm-hmm. are the challenges that lenders have and maybe evaluating this stuff at this time, like well, you have less. For one thing, we said at the beginning of the podcast, you have less cash coming through the door. Yeah, right. So, so you're. I got to keep the lights on. I have to keep the lights on. I want to increase my tech stack. You know, what do I want to do? I think there's there's certainly uncertainty and fear around it. I think what you have to look at though is, I'm going to have this initial cash outlay, but my my efficiencies are going to increase by 5x or 10x or 15x. And as a result of that increase in efficiencies, I can write more loans and maybe decrease my cycle time, which is going to allow me to offer offer a better price to the street. That's easier said than done, though, because efficiencies don't run through the income statement. It's it's don't. hard for a CEO or for a CFO to look at those numbers and see, oh, okay, I trust you. I trust that you know it'll all flow to the bottom line or whatever it might be. So you know that's where operations really really thrives. And so getting your ops person really understanding what that return is, what efficiency means, put a dollar number to it, yeah, and then. Have your executives hold you to it too. I, I mean, that's that's what we're talking about because otherwise it's just fluff. If you go to your CEO and say, "Hey, I want to spend some money," okay, show me the show me the return. Well, we're gonna have efficiency. That means nothing. Yeah, show me. Totally, totally with you, Brian. I think you do have to go back and and look at your rate sheets and look at your investors and see what that pricing looks like and and say, okay. I can decrease my cycle time by ten days, and that's the difference between a. 30-day lock and a 45-day lock. So that's, you know, seven or eight basis points, whatever that spread is, right? You're absolutely right. You go to someone and say, man, eh, I can be more efficient. Big deal, right? I can be more efficient. Man, I can save the company seven basis points. That's much more powerful. Yeah, that's right? a perfect example. And like, you got to get it to a basis point or a dollar. Basis point preferred, of course. But if like... Hey, should we do the tri merge credit pool or should we do the soft pool? Okay, let's completely analyze that and break it down. 
All right. If we go soft pool, maybe we can get more applications in. Okay. By using a point of sale, we can get a higher application submission rate. That Mm -hmm. yields a net income dollar. Okay. Then we do the try merge when it's really needed. Okay. Now analyze all those costs. Do the whole analysis. Don't just say, yippee, we heard to go to soft pool. Let's go. Or yippee, we want to bring on a construction to perm loan. Or over those crazy loans that you guys were talking about last last episode on. Uh, you know, don't you know? You never know what we're talking. about. I blacked about out here, for half uh, of it. So. <laughs> we were talking about product, and you blacked out. Come on, <laughs> the other product, the mortgage product, the mortgage product. Come on, man! I live, breathe, eat, sleep, whatever else that stuff. <laughs> That's why I have you in my in my network AI. Is I just get Thank you. get you to cover that? I just I, it's. It's going to be real. I don't know if Alan's intelligence level is going to get there. I mean, it's just, <laughs> I just don't know if it's going to happen. Uh, well, Brian, one, one, Maxi, one interesting you know thought I had is you know you've spent time at two of those kind of massive either players or maybe soon to be projected players in the space um, as part of the transaction process, and you're at Maxwell, which is you know designed for you know small mid size basically just non, you know, top 10 lenders in the United States, like the small to mid-sized market, which represents a huge chunk of the market. Like that kind of means you're betting on that group in in a way in, in your career decisions. Like once you spent the time, like what makes this market interesting to you? Yeah. I think it's interesting when you look at total market share, right? In this space. And what somebody can correct me, but I think this mid to small lender piece of it is actually 86%. Yeah. Around 86% of the market share in, in, in mortgage transactions. And so my bet is that these lenders, you know, they're going to focus on the things that the the bigger, the tech, you know, funded, the venture backed companies are investing in. And they're going to see a lot of success a lot of success. And so there's a ton of opportunity there uh, from like the, what we've been talking about with customer experience, you know, betting on technology to improve some things, working on your processes. I think as we see the lenders take on this 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 approach of customer centric and customer obsessed, they're going to be big big winners in the long run. So I think there's always going to be these big players are always going to have a decent amount of market share, but really the the largest percentage of lenders out there are these, these mid, mid-sized, smaller lenders. And there's just a hope of an opportunity to improve the experience for the customers with that market. Yeah. Well, really uh, have enjoyed the conversation. Uh, I feel like we could have gone on a little longer, but I promised my wife, uh, we've got a babysitter. So we got to do oh, uh, a drink date night at least. Uh, oh. So babysitter being grandma, our time nice. is limited though. So, so wow. I'm sadly going to probably have to cut this off. However, uh, maybe let's do uh, kind of round the group to finish things off. A lot of ideas here, you know, a lot unknown in the market, but four lenders trying to make an improvement to either better compete against or to better leverage what's happening with these type of lenders. What would each of you Kind of recommend, kind of rapid fire. Here we go. Brian, Traeger's nervous now. Traeger's, <laughs> yeah, man. Traeger wasn't expecting this. So maybe no. let's go, maybe let's go AI first and then we can no, go. No, 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 no. We're going to go to Mexi because he keeps secrets. Yeah. <laughs> well, first off, I mean, I feel like I was a bamboozled. I thought I was coming out here to talk about gravel bikes and trail running, but now we I'm, can do that. But let's, now I'm, we can do gravel bikes. <laughs> well, uh, 
So a, a big takeaway is there's new emerging, you know, tech-driven mortgage players in it. And I think it's really important to keep your finger on the pulse of what they're doing, right? What they're doing and how they're doing it. Will all of our lenders have the same ability to spend millions and millions of dollars in marketing? No, but there are things you can take away, like being extremely customer focused, working on your process to make sure that you're satisfying the customers and getting them to come back to you every single time they have to buy a home or refinance their home. So creating an incredible experience would be my number one takeaway from this and and figuring out what you need to do to create that in this period that we're in right now where every deal matters and you, know, you can't have can't have the fallout losing to some of the big players out there. Nice. And I would say, yeah, I would say, you know what? We said at the beginning, and I'm going to say it at the end. I'm going to paraphrase and steal the comment. Take the pitch, take the call. Listen to what else is out there. Those folks calling on you, you never know. Take that call. BT? Yeah, mine is keep an eye on these these big, big lenders or tech companies because I think they're kind of coming after you. Like they're trying to build this vertically integrated shop. They're trying to get economies of scale and they're trying to get their rate sheets better. And they're going to be able to survive kind of the up, the downs of the marketplace. So really try to learn from them and see what their next move is because they're not going to stop trying to get market share. They're just doing it in a really different way. So understand them and take lessons from them and implement them in your own business. Cause like I said, they're going to, they're going to try and beat you on rate and they're going to try and do that on the internet. So do what you can to learn. Yeah. I think where mine is, is, and this might be oversimplifying, is just in times of economic challenge or uncertainty, um, I think there is some people kind of shutter down and kind of batten down the hatches. And then some people, I think, try to use that as an opportunity to reinvent. And this is me coming from the tip space as the majority of my background is some of the most prolific, biggest brands in the tech space, Airbnb, Uber, came out of recessions. And like, there's an opportunity for forward-thinking lenders to really challenge how and why things are getting done, whether that's in your business or a future business you're doing. And so like maybe in combo with AI is like, try something significant and find your hypothesis and go prove it out and go make a step change in your business um, in these times. It might be scary, but it also has a lot of reasons why it's a good time to do that. Um, you have less loan volume coming in. You have these things that can maybe force creativity and force a refocus to future self or kind of future proof and set yourself up for years to come. All right. Yep. Sounds All right, good. boys. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having what me on. on. Okay, so this is this is what we do need to seriously consider. This is now like maybe a third or fourth time. Like we might need to have an outdoor sports, like hidden podcast. That's maybe called like close to clear or something. Um, <laughs> the fringe, the fringe audience in the mortgage industry who would actually like to hear subpar athletes, athletes used loosely, yes. talk about outdoor <laughs> adventures. We can finally satisfy that need for them. So if you have been listening and are just dying to hear amazing, underwhelming stories of (laughs) subpar performance in athletic adventures outdoors, we might have a podcast for you coming up soon. We could do that. We could definitely do that. We could talk about like my slow cycling. Yeah. And Brian can talk about like, 
that time he went down like a blue mogul run at Vale when it snowed like an inch the night before. So like that'd be. But Brian is completely yeah, no he, reaction on his yeah, face. He's, yeah, 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 he's, yeah, he's out of it. He's out of it. I need to know more about that. It just crossed five Eastern time. Brian's done. <laughs> no, I my internet is shot right now. I don't know if I even. No, you. you we guys can, can hear, hear you fine, man. Yeah, okay. you're good. Because yeah. you guys are going in and out and freezing on uh-huh. me, and then uh, so I caught like half of that. <laughs> yeah, that's just Anthony's mic for this whole it episode. Probably is. No, I changed it out, man. It does. It does feel slightly better, but it's still not the best. <laughs> All right, everybody. Well, we'll save everyone's uh, time from now on. So uh, thank you again for uh, stopping by and listening to Clear to Close. We hope you found this episode valuable. Uh, Again, this episode was brought to you by our beloved employer and sponsor, Maxwell, that makes all this happen. To learn more about Maxwell, visit us at www.highmaxwell.com and email us at meetmax at highmaxwell.com. Until next time, happy lending. You got it. Catch you later. Thanks all. Thanks, Maxie. Thanks, guys.